Well, welcome everybody and thanks for joining here and Portico Online. Uh, when you read your Bible, and we've been reading through the book of Luke this summer as a church, if you're connected to our app and our daily devotional reading, you'll know we're just finishing the book of Luke. You read a lot about Jesus teaching about money. Some say it was actually his most often discussed topic about what we do with our money. And if it wasn't the issue he dealt with most, it was definitely our relationship to money that he addressed most often when you read his teachings through the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so today we are going to be uh, giving a message called, Does God Expect Me to Give My Money? Now, that's a big question that a lot of people wrestle with. So we're going to get off this message a little bit uh, on a fun note and make it a little bit lighthearted before we get into the deeper stuff. So many of you would have interactions with a whole bunch of different financial institutions, or you would have seen advertisements for different institutions. So we're going to play a little game of, Can You Recognize This Slogan? So if you're not logged into the chat room, make sure you log into the chat room now because you're going to give um, your answer about what each uh, slogan or which institution each slogan is associated with. Okay, so log in, get ready, and then give your best guess. Here comes, here comes the first one. First one is this, what's in your wallet? Who knows where the slogan, what's in your wallet, comes from? I'll give you a little bit of hint. This isn't a Canadian financial institution. What's in your wallet belongs to Capital One. There's the reveal. Okay, let's come north of the border here. This one might be a little easier for people. Um, You're richer than you think. Who knows who owns the slogan, you're richer than you think. This one is a personal favorite of mine, not because I bank there, but because the Raptors and the Leafs play there. It's Scotiabank. You're richer than you think at the Scotiabank Center. Okay, last one. Banking can be this comfortable. If you think you know what banking can be this comfortable is, log your answer into the chat room. We'll give everybody a few seconds. That is TD. <laughs> so some, some of these slogans become really familiar to us. And for others, we've never heard them before. It probably identifies how in tune you are with both the financial institutions and the world of that, as well as what happens with their advertising. But we today in our, in our sermon series on life hacks, want to look at this message, what does God, ex- or does God expect me to give my money? And in a world where everything costs so much, how can we possibly be expected to give away our money? Now, there's been great debates that we've had in the church over the years about this, because there's this principle in the Old Testament called tithing. And tithing is the expectation that we would give 10% of everything that we earn, everything that we have, we would give that over to the church for the ministries of the church. And people debate, well, do you tithe on your gross? Do you tithe on everything you make before taxes? Or do you tithe on your net? What's left after taxes are taken? And then some people would say, well, if you're tithing on your net, then um, you have to make sure that you tithe on your tax return as well. And what about money that you don't earn, but it's a gift that's given to you? Do you have to tithe on that? And some people would say, is the principle of tithing, giving 10%, is that even relevant anymore? Because that was part of the Old Testament law. And now we're living under New Testament times and we shouldn't even be asking these kinds of questions. All I would say is that when we're asking questions like that, Um, We're asking the wrong kind of question. We're asking law-based questions. And we're asking about what is the number? What is the minimum? Or what is the expectation? And as we're in this series 
on life hacks, what we're seeing is that Jesus is often going, so you've heard it one way. I want to show you a new way to think about it. And he really is messing up our understanding about what we used to think and what the expectation was and what the new way to think is. So here comes the life hack for how we deal with our money and does God expect us to give our money? And our key texts today are going to be found in the book of Matthew, chapter 6. And we actually have two key texts. There's the first four verses, verse 1 through 4. And then we're going to bump down to verses 19 through 24 as Jesus addresses how we handle our money and our relationship with money, how we manage it in a way that would honor God. And the concept we're going to look at is biblical generosity. So get out your notes. Uh, The best note-taking experience for our services is found in the Portico app. So make sure you download the app. Or if you like pen and paper, then you can go to your own journal. But we've got three thoughts for you when it comes to how we manage our money. And the first is this, that biblical generosity requires discretion. A few years ago, um, I wanted to have a little bit of fun whenever we were giving away prizes or whatever we were doing anything in terms of financial donations. I bought one of those cartoon-sized checks. It was about uh, three meters long and about a meter high. And when somebody won like a $10 prize in youth, we would give it to them and we would take a big picture with them. And it was fun because it's, it's a good idea when we're giving away a prize to kind of celebrate it, or when somebody gives generously, we celebrate things like that. And many of you might've participated over the years in the Princess Margaret um, lottery giveaways because you're giving to the hospital, but you also might get something in return. In fact, I think that's their slogan right now. You can, you can give for the kids or you can give for the prizes. But let's go to the words of Jesus when it talks about why we give and how we give. And let's see the first two verses in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. Here's what he says. He goes, watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and the streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth. They have received all the reward they will ever get. So remember this message, Sermon on the Mount, there's a lot of hyperbole in there. He's not always being literal. So we have to dig a little bit deeper to understand the principle underneath it. And so let's go back to the Old Testament pattern of giving. And if you went to the temple, which was in Jerusalem, or even in the synagogues, if there was an established facility in a community that was a synagogue, they would have a chest And they would have a shofar-shaped object, which was kind of like a trumpet. Sometimes it had curved, sometimes it was straight, but it always had a big top. And it was was called the shofar chest. And that's where they collected their, their tithes and their offerings. And if you wanted people to understand that you are a generous giver, well, you would bring a great number of coins and you would drop it in from a high distance. And it would be like a trumpet shouting as the coins circled around the the opening of the shofar, and then landed in the chest. And in fact, you could even fool people and you could give a smaller amount, but you gave it in smaller denominations so that it made a big noise, a lot of coins dumping into the chest. And and this pattern actually moved into the early stages of the church. And even uh, as a church started to move across Europe and into the organization of the Catholic church, it was something that happened over centuries. People would give coins and they would make a big show of it and they were celebrated for giving generously. But the reason that we give, and if we're talking about biblical generosity, should never be to be congratulated. We give because God asks it of us. If you bump ahead to verse four, 
Jesus says, give your gifts, give your gifts in private and your father in heaven who sees everything will reward you. Now, some of us have mistakenly understood this, that the way that God is going to reward us will always be financial. It's like, it's like we're playing the lottery. We're playing our lucky 10%. And if we give our 10%, then we're going to be blessed with 10% back. Or maybe this week we're going to play number seven, lucky number seven, 7%. It's the number of perfection. And we're going to get this big reward. But God is not a lottery ticket, hoping that it will pay off with further riches in the end. God is your father. And he's trying to teach you that he'll provide all you need. Think of all the ways that God can provide for you. God can give you joy in your heart, knowing that when you give, you impact a life. There's salvation that comes because you've sacrificed, because the church have worked and and the person has then understood who Jesus is and that salvation is a gift that they want to receive. And there's that joy that comes from that. And giving money for no personal gain is actually the epitome of biblical generosity. When you're worried most about what God is going to do and least about how it affects yourself and your financial situation, then you're starting to understand biblical generosity. So I want to pause the message here as we're moving forward for a minute and just share a little bit of my heart of where we're moving forward as a church as we come out of the pandemic and into this this new year. We, We have made some shifts over the course of this year and we got to a place where one out of every $10 goes directly to a person in need. It, it, it doesn't go to a salary to support that person in need. It doesn't go to a facility to make that function. No, it goes directly to people who are in need. And this year, we're actually committed to pushing it further. We just finished our budget and we're uh, July is the first month of our budget year. We run July through June and we are functioning in a way where not only one out of every $10 of Uh, what we receive, but it's actually one out of every 10 undesignated dollars plus every dollar that is designated to missions is going to care for people outside of our church, whether it's in our community or like the kingdom builders we hear all over the world, that money is going directly to them so that they would be benefited so that ministry would happen to people outside of the lives that we touch. And as God has been challenging me, about how we handle finances as an organization. Here's the thought, is that the defining ministry of our church should not be ministry to our church. It should be the expression of ministry from our church to our community. What we do should not be for the benefit of ourselves. What we do should be for the benefit of people who are in need. So what does that require? Well, it requires reallocating some of our time and some of our dollars from serving ourselves and reinvesting it into serving into people who have a greater need. If you go to the parallel passage of when Jesus is teaching about money in the Sermon on the Mount, and Luke, Luke will capture it in Luke chapter 12, verse 33, and we read this two weeks ago in our daily devotional reading. He said, J- Jesus elaborated a little bit further. He said, sell your possessions and give it to those in need. Now, I'm not advocating that as a church, we sell this building and we sell this facility, but here's what I am advocating for, is that in this next season of who we are as a community and as a church, we be less concerned with how fantastic this place can look and we can be, 
and more concerned about stripping things away so that we can express love to those who need it the most and express care to those who need it the most. And I believe we'll, some of the defining partnerships of how we go forward will be like our partner up in Brampton, Regeneration Outreach Community, where our Brampton community, you're right there meeting right now. Give us a shout out, Brampton online, if you're in the chat room there. You're meeting in the food bank, in the place where we're going to see great ministry happen. Why? Because that's where God has planted us. We have a fantastic partnership with the Mississauga Food Bank, and we've expanded into the Square One area with um, Good Measure Food Bank. And in fact, we've just been in meetings the last number of weeks talking about what our next steps would look like. And uh, Pastor Dwayne, old Dwayne, Dwayne Hutchings and I have been talking about the establishment of a social justice group and how we can then have an evaluation of all the different areas locally about how we can, um, how we can step into the need that's representative there. And in the next number of months, you're going to be hearing about how you can get involved in giving practical skills like resume writing for those who have lost their job or, or job counseling or even helping people find appropriate accommodations. And if you're interested in getting involved in any one of those areas, I want you to go over to portico.cc slash serve now because it's about reallocating our resources and our time and our energy and not because it's going to benefit us, not because we're going to trumpet what we do. It's, it's actually God asks us to be discreet about it, but we do it because we're going to see people come to faith when we become less about blowing the trumpets for what we've done and more about investing into what other people do. Okay, let's pick it back up. Um, point number two is that biblical generosity acknowledges the greater value of eternity. Jesus' teaching is sometimes hard to accept because we only see and we only experience this life, but his teaching always orients us to the next life. And sacrifice becomes easier if we are actually able to shift our focus and go, I'm not just concerned about what I have and what I'm doing in this life. I'm actually more concerned about my soul and the souls of the people around me and what that will look like in the next life. And if being rich in this world is important to you, then this will be a struggle. It's only when we're able to recognize it doesn't matter my financial circumstance in this life, that's when giving becomes a no-brainer because there is no longer a need to establish the wealth on this earth. Now, if you, if you have rich, if you, if, you, if you have it, it's okay. It's not that being rich is the problem. It's the importance with which we place on it. Look at Matthew 6, 19 and 20. It says, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust, rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. So who feels like the cost of living in the GTA is too much? Who feels? Everybody should be saying yes. <laughs> Every hand should be up. See, the reality is that our income doesn't match the reality of the cost of our homes or our cars or, or really the cost of living around here. The incomes don't match. So then we need to understand that as I'm sharing this teaching, the majority of people that are participating in this service are in debt and they're not sure how they're going to get out of debt or they're not sure how they're going to continue moving forward. So could you imagine a reality where your list of needs, I'm going to say the word needs, does not include an iPhone upgrade 
or does not maybe even include ever owning a house or owning something that has always been kind of out there for you. Owning a house for so many in our society today just seems like a pipe dream. And consumerism in a society always breeds more consumerism. And this is, this is where we are. If, if we have the ability to buy, then we want the ability, then we usually often take that opportunity to buy. And as we buy, we begin to think, well, what's the next thing I should save for and consume? And if it's within our guiding principles to our life to have nice things, then we will often struggle with this teaching that Jesus says about sell your possessions and give it to the poor and invest in the next life. Don't invest in this life. But if we reoriented our minds to think, what are my needs? Do I eat? Am I dressed? Do I have a warm place to sleep? The, the actual needs that we can identify as true needs and all else is stewarded towards God. Then this teaching begins to become something that we can embrace. Another important thing to remember is that this portion of the teaching actually flips from hyperbole to become very tangible and practical. Think of Jesus. He did not own a house. People gave generously to his ministry, yet he didn't take it to own a house. Judas managed the money for the disciples, and he struggled with the way that Jesus managed the money. It seemed frivolous to him. He, he became so upset about how money was wasted. And there was the one situation in particular where, where Mary wasted an entire year's salary worth of perfume in an act of worship. Could you imagine what would happen if we spent a year's worth of salary on a worship night? And it was, and it was part of what we did, just this extravagance in worship. People who were counting the money would lose their minds if we spent 75,000 or 50 or whatever you would uh, allocate for a year's worth of wages. And Judas at times even helped himself to the donations that the disciples and Jesus were receiving. Because at times he didn't feel like they were getting enough for themselves and he didn't feel like they were using it on practical or tangible things. And in, and in fact, Jesus, Judas got to the point where he couldn't follow Jesus any longer because he felt Jesus had lost his way and, and that Jesus was giving bad teaching compared to what would make sense to Judas for the Messiah to teach and to act like. God couldn't possibly want him or the other disciples to live that way. Kings should live like kings in Judas' mind. But we can have a rich life without ever having riches. Jesus lived the most rich life of all because he stored up lives and souls in the kingdom of heaven. His father cared for his need. His father led him to others who needed care and he was able to distribute the resources that he had into those places of care. And he learned what it was like to be sufficiently cared for by his father without ever having to worry. And it was in Luke, that uh, chapter we read earlier, Luke, Luke 12, where Jesus would go on about, look at the birds and they don't worry. Look at the, the fields and the lilies and how God cares for those. And when I look at my bank account or my RRSP or my RESP, there's some comfort there because I've put some savings there. It feels good that I've planned and I've saved and I'm not stressed about maybe some other expenses that are coming up in my life. But security was never designed to be in our bank accounts. 
And in developing nations, if we we're to talk just very frankly, retirement savings, that's not even a concept. And any theology that includes God's blessing us so that we'd be more wealthy and we would have luxury is completely against the model of Jesus' life. That's not how we live. That's not how we taught. So that's not something that we can embrace. True treasure is not found on earth. However, luxury is not a sin. To have wealth is not a sin. Some, some have great wealth and some have poverty. And Jesus even acknowledged, he said, you're always going to have the poor with you. And he gave great teaching on how we uh, approach money and how we steward money. And it was the parable of the talents. And the one who had five, he was given 10 and then more was even given to them. So it's not that luxury is a sin and luxury is a problem or wealth is a problem. It's that our stability in our life should never be centered on what we can provide for ourselves. And the treasure of earth should never be the thing that brings value. So here's the reflection. If you have wealth, is God and his provision for you as great of a comfort as knowing that you won't have to worry about some bills in your future or your needs or your retirement? Treasure on earth is not right or wrong. It's simply not treasure. Invest discreetly is the first point. Invest in his kingdom, not in our kingdom is the second. And the last is that biblical generosity is a result of a submitted heart. And this only happens when you have submitted lordship to Jesus. He is our savior. He paid the price for our sin. And many of us can come to the point where we look at our lives and say, I'm not worthy of God. I need forgiveness for some stuff in my life. And we confess our need of a savior. But confessing our need of a Lord and giving over control over all areas of our life, that becomes a much more difficult task. We like Jesus as Savior. Sometimes we struggle with Jesus as Lord. And here's how Jesus ends this passage off in verse 24. He says, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. That's a big word, enslaved to money, but you cannot serve God and serve the ends of money is what he's teaching. And our relationship to money, again, most of Jesus' teaching when he, when he talked about it was our relationship to money. It wasn't about should you have it, should you not. It was our attitude. It was our relationship towards it. And that's why we're talking about biblical generosity. But, but money is often a window into our hearts. Are we giving because it benefits us? Are we giving joyfully or begrudgingly? Are we giving legalistically going, I have to give exactly 10% because that's what I'm called to? Or are we giving just because Jesus is Lord and we recognize that everything we have is a gift from him and it's to be stewarded for him. And we're to manage it the same way that he did when he was on earth. You know, the, the ancient Hebrew had a word uh, or used the phrase healthy eye. And it was actually synonymous with generosity. If you said, hey, this is a person with good eyes or healthy eyes, that means that that person was generous to all. But if you had bad eyes, it meant selfishness. Now let's look at Matthew 6, 22 and 23, the verse right before we were just reading. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. And this one's not on the screen for you, so you got to open up your Bibles. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. 
what Jesus was teaching here is that when, you're, when your heart is submitted and you have healthy eyes, then generosity rules and you're filled with his light and everything that comes out of you is just stewarding the resources that God has given you, whether it's your finance or whether, I mean, it, it's your, your, your time and your abilities as well. But, but specifically, this teaching is how we give our money. But when your eyes are selfish, your entire being can turn to dark. And when you, when, when you read the Bible, it's so important that you read through context. Because I've heard this verse taught before about how the, the eyes are the window to our soul. Or they're like a lamp that provides light for our body. And it's about what we take in. No, no Jesus is talking about our relationship to finance. And our relationship to money reveals not only our level of trust in God, but the scope and purposes behind our worship of God. And it's almost like a barometer or a thermometer to measure to go, is the way that I handle my money, is it, is it characteristic of someone that goes, Lord, it, it's all yours, so whatever you need. God, I trust if you gave, you can take away, and if you give, you can give again. And it's not about making me and my kingdom and my stuff great. It's about making sure that people find their way to you and people understand love and care. Now, this seems like a fantastic point in, in, a, in a service to take an offering as we come to the close. But we aren't going to do that um, because this isn't about what we can receive in one moment. This isn't about trumpeting our successes. That would be almost going in direct contrast to what Jesus said at the beginning that we should never trumpet our we shouldn't give and then trumpet the way that we give this is a spiritual principle that actually grows us and if we could get to the place where biblical generosity was a guiding principle for us that that i give and it doesn't matter who knows that i give into god's kingdom not just investing into what i have that, that my security lay in what god can provide not what i can provide because i trust in him and his kingdom then we become wholly different followers of Jesus. You know, I got an email from our financial team this past week, and there was a brand new uh, giver. I, I usually have no idea what people give and who gives and who doesn't, but they thought that I should know this one because it was a six-year-old who had made $2 and had just given 25 cents. And so I called up this six-year-old had a quick conversation and said, it just wanted to thank you for starting to participate in giving. And he kind of understood the principle of 10%, but he said, I wanted to give God one of the big ones. I wanted to give him a little more. So he gave the whole quarter. And what a, what a cool little story about how a family is teaching their, their six-year-old son about what it means to receive money, how to save, how to spend, but first off, how to give and how to become a generous giver, somebody that is going to grow up with the understanding of biblical generosity. The way that we handle the resources that God has given us is one of the most critical pieces of our discipleship. And we see that evidence as Jesus time and time again would challenge his followers and challenge his listeners to examine their motives, examine their practices with the way that they handle their finances. And so I would challenge us that we would submit all of our hearts to God, including our finances, all of it. And we will end up living the richest life that we could possibly imagine. Let me pray with you as we close our services today. Heavenly Father, 
We thank you that you are our provider. And God, we come together in prayer today and there are some that are in great need. There are some that can identify some needs. There are some that really look around and they can't examine or they can't find a place where they're in financial need. But the reality is, God, we are all in the same space in need of forgiveness, in need of your spirit, in need of your direction to show us how we would steward the little or the much that we have so that your kingdom would grow. And Lord, I pray that as we reflect on our relationship to finance and our understanding of biblical generosity, that Holy Spirit, you would convict us of places that we need to confess. You would inspire us into places where we need to participate in. You would help us to release our hands of it and not have to worry about how it's managed beyond when we let it go or, 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 or who is going to steward it beyond once we've given. God, you would just allow us to participate in the amazing experience it is to give everything that you have given to us over for your kingdom, Lord. God, I thank you for the generosity that has been so demonstrated in the people of this church and this and this gathering. And Lord, I pray you would continually challenge us each and every day to not stay where we are, but, but hear your voice more and more, Lord, and be obedient to how you've called us to give and how to invest. And Lord, I pray that as we give, you promised that you would bless. In fact, in, in, in Malachi 10, you said, test me in this and see if I won't pour out. Lord, I pray that as we give, you pour out your blessing, meaning your spirit would be on each and every thing that we do and place that we go and ministry we start, Lord, that it would be all showing how people can find their way back to you as we participate in this amazing work that you've called us to. Jesus, we thank you and we pray this all in your name. Amen.